Jacob Albrocht, Tommy Castor. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. He's got all the insight on what you want to know and maybe some of what you don't want to know. Here's K-State insider Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome back in hour number two of Sports Daily. Joined every Thursday by Tim Fitzgerald. Tim, um, I hope you've been able to, you know, to dry out the liver a little bit after a long trip to New Orleans. Um, did you survive it? How, how you feeling after the Sugar Bowl outcome, notwithstanding? Yeah, no, it was a great trip. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, I was in bed. In New Orleans at midnight on New Year's Eve, but very disappointing performance by myself um, as well as the cat. But yeah, no, it's nor I love New Orleans. I know it's not always a safe place to be, but it's just a different place than anywhere else in the world. What a magical mashup of cultures in New Orleans! It, it it's just a it, it's just a wild experience. I can I've actually never been. Um, so I, and I don't know if I'm jealous or not. I can't decide, uh, that let's start with football before we talk about basketball and sort of put a bow on last season and looking ahead, not the outcome at the sugar bowl. We wanted probably not even expected. I think that end of the first half decision probably had a ripple effect and not, I I totally agree with going for it where they did at the end of the first half, but um, you know, what, what are your thoughts now just quickly on the game before we look at some of the things that have happened just between then and now, but, uh, an, an Alabama win that was big, that didn't make any of us feel good, but you know, still a great season for the cats. Well, first, first of all, Bryce Young, it has to be seen to believe, to be believed. <clears throat> some of the throws he made were absolutely incredible, but if you look back and, and review that game from the moment they missed on the fourth and goal at the two. Um, and the play was there, just didn't quite execute it right. And now that happens. That's just, uh, you can't be perfect. From that moment on, and K-State's trailing by three, they could have gone up by four at halftime, but instead they're down three. Over the next basically two minutes and 50 seconds of football action with the half in between there, Alabama scored 21 more points. And so that three-point lead went to 24 in a game that she lost by 25. So it's pretty easy to figure out when the game uh, got out of control for Kansas State. And, um, you know, that that shock and awe football that Nick Saban put on display that was assisted by some ongoing gambles by Chris Kleiman as he tried to get his team back in the game, that, that didn't work. You know, calling the timeout, which I also agreed with on, on the first down play after Alabama was trying to come out of the goal there. Uh, the onside kick, not so much, but you know what? He was trying to win the game and felt like the, his team needed that. It just kind of all seemed to get worse and worse for Kansas State. But overall, they played pretty well. And I'll always remember that Deuce Vaughn had the longest touchdown run against Nick Saban since he's been at Alabama, which is a remarkable stat. Yeah, you know, watching that that touchdown run from Deuce Vaughn uh, early in the game, I, you know, my first thought was, all right, here we go. Like, this is going to be fun. Buckle in because uh, we're going to be in for a ride today. And, uh, you know, Fitz, I want to get your thought. You mentioned that um, Chris Kleiman gambled a couple different times in that game, very aggressive in the decision-making. Uh, 
and and I know that you're playing against a Nick Saban team. You're playing against an Alabama team that uh, you've got to be able to be aggressive at times if you want to beat them. Did you have any issue at all with any of the decision making as far as the aggressiveness that Chris Kleiman showed? You know, I, I felt like um, there was an interesting flip if you break these down. And he was going for it on, you know, fourth down throughout the game. So going for it at the goal line certainly was no surprise. I think we all knew it was coming. Um, you know, some people question the play call, but it was executed well enough to work. Ben Sennett, the tight end, got hung up just a hair that threw the play off. But as Will Howard said, I still need to put the, the ball on him, you know, not make him go get it in that kind of play. I had no problem there. I really had no problem with the timeout. Um, off to the first down because you're trying to pin them up against the goal, use your timeouts, get the ball back, and maybe then you could kick the field goal that you passed on. Um, maybe that calculation's different when the opponent's Alabama, but it's almost a reflex for a coach to do exactly what Chris Kleiman did. The only time I had an issue um, was the onside kick, and here's why. You ended the first half with that timeout. In other words, I trust my defense to take care of this and get us the ball back. And you immediately start the second half with, I don't trust my defense to stop them if I kick it deep. And I, I thought that was kind of a mixed message. I understand that they were just going for it and they didn't execute the, the onside kick, but boy, it just snowballed there. And then Will Howard, you know, threw a, a, another pass, just a hair off that his receiver didn't fight for and it was intercepted and there's the third touchdown. So it's, it's, uh, you know, I get what he was trying to do, and I, I understand that he, he felt like he had to take some chances to compensate for the talent gap, which I get. Uh, but for the most part, I agree with everything except maybe the onside kick. Uh, all right, so after the game then, we've seen Deuce Vaughn declare. We've seen Julius Brintz declare. Um we expect others catch us up. Are we, are we missing any? Um, any that have surprised you? as we look ahead to next season? No, no, not really. And I expect Felix and Yadike Ozama to declare here pretty soon. I'm a little surprised it hasn't happened yet, uh, which is interesting. I think we're going to see some offensive linemen come back. Uh, but the issue here is, you know, you've got these COVID years where you can come back, but Kansas State also has to stay at 85 scholarships or fewer like everyone else in the country, and they're up against it. So, there has to be a calculation. Well, if you come back, someone's either got to leave or we can't take another recruit. And they certainly now need another running back. They've already stated they wanted a nose tackle through the transfer portal. So uh, there's some work to be done on the recruiting trail. And every guy that comes back has to count. And I, I think some linemen will come back. And I don't know about anyone else. I don't know about receivers or any of that. But I would suspect the coaches are, are going to kind of hold – Hold steady at the line and, and maybe a player here and there, maybe Echo Boydo at a corner. But other than that, I think uh, everything will go as, as what we expected. But I do find it curious. Felix hasn't announced yet because we expected him to announce after the game. He'd indicated that was what he was going to do. And here we are, you know, not a full week later, but getting there. And uh, he still has not announced. Fits uh, the other storyline with Kansas State football, Chris Kleiman, and the reports that Gene Taylor is going to be working on uh, potential new contracts for Chris Kleiman and his assistants. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of that has to do with the Sugar Bowl run, right? But also probably new contracts for other coaches in the league like Lance Leipold. What do you know about uh, new contracts potentially for Chris Kleiman? 
you know, Gene's going to take care of his guys. And I'm, I'm glad I'm not Gene Taylor right now. He's done such a good job hiring. I don't know how he's going to pay everyone because if you look across the basketball, if that persists, there's going to have to be a new contract there too. Um, and the good news for K-State is they're through a major portion of their building uh, projects. They're going to have to dig into Bramlage Coliseum with more upgrades in the future, but uh, for the most part, they're kind of settled in. They're going to have a brand-new shiny volleyball arena for a new coaching staff and a new era of K-State volleyball. So maybe they can kind of turn their attention to salaries because now investing in the the humans that are part of your staff because he's done an incredible job with hiring coaches. And now maybe um, it's time to make sure they're not going anywhere. I don't know how K-State could pay coaches six, seven, eight million dollars a year, and then you know up the assistants to kind of follow suit in terms of uh, you know the perspective of how much the coach gets paid to his assistants. But they're going to have to find a way if they want to stay competitive. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, and I God, they, there has to be. You know, don't don't you think the staff understands that as far as like how fast everything can happen? I, what what's the what do you think the momentum and the and the um, motivation is among the people that will need to pony up to raise those funds is for all of those things to happen? I mean, I haven't seen K Staters more motivated for the combination of football and basketball in my entire life. So, I think the money will be there, um, and you know, you that's one thing that Gene's done exceptionally well, he's been fiscally responsible from the day he took over from John Curry, who was also pretty responsible with how he spent the money. So um, you, you can't get out of perspective. You can't give a contract with an enormous buyout that could cripple you if something goes wrong. Uh, but I do believe in, you know, trying to make your coaches at a competitive salary in the marketplace. We can argue about whether the marketplace is out of whack which I would say yes, but you still have to exist within the marketplace. And I know that, that, that the big donors and all the way down to just your ticket holders or you know, fans that can't afford to go to games, they don't want to see Chris Kleiman or Jerome Tang go anywhere. They don't want to see the assistant coaches moving on because of, of salary anymore. Uh, so we'll see if they can make that happen. Well, I can't believe it's taken us this long uh, in the interview to bring up K-State basketball. Uh, 116 points on the road in Austin, downing the Longhorns 116 to 103. Um, I'm not sure that there are words necessarily to describe the offensive output that we saw from the Wildcats, but I'd love to hear you try to put it into words. What do you you think coming out of that game uh, on Tuesday night? What am I watching? I mean, it was was just a blast. It was so much fun. And granted, you know, they gave up more than 100 points, but it was just one of those games that turned into a shootout, and K-State chose that. They they looked at te- they looked at Texas and said, you know what, they want to pressure you in the full court, they want to pressure you in the half court. And Jerome Ting said it on his post-game radio, I'm not going to let a defense pressure me twice in one possession. That, that says a lot. And he also recognized this, we're not going to let them pressure us at all if we can get up the court and beat their defense down the floor, which K-State – predicates a lot of their offense on doing. And when you do that, there's more possessions in the game. Uh, You score quick, maybe they score quick. But for the first time in a long time, I'm watching a K-State team that if they do give up two points or three points, they take the ball out of the net and they come right back at you. They don't walk it up the court and let you set up your defense. They're going to turn around and attack you. And I love that brand of basketball, even if it costs them a little bit on the defensive end. 
Um, but uh, it, you know, at the end of the day, if you can outscore your opponent, guess what? You win the game, and that's what happened in winning a game, scoring 116 points but giving up, what, 103. So uh, it was fun. I don't know if they can do that uh, very often. They get another big test on Saturday at Baylor, and I will be there to cover that game And uh, because going out on the road was exactly what I wanted to do after a week in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, especially to Waco, uh, the the Oasis, uh, <laughs> spoken as a Texan, so no no offense intended, or maybe I do have some offense intended there. Um, what are the chances here? We saw TCU get a big win last night, too. I, I don't know if you agree with us. We would probably, well, would not probably, we would say Kansas is the favorite here. But Kansas State and TCU yeah. also sit there now at 13-1. and one. Uh, Texas and Baylor were the other two before the season we thought were contenders to win it all. In this stacking of the NFL, do you, uh, if the NFL, the Big 12 basketball standings, I assume you agree Kansas is the favorite. But how much yeah. now has it changed that Kansas State could contend there and even into TCU? Well, it, it, it's incredible. And it just emphasizes how meaningless the preseason polls are because you really don't know what you're getting into each right. season. And plus, this is a long journey. We're two games in here of 18. So you got 16 more. Um, and during the course of that, you're going to see a team like Oklahoma or Oklahoma State just catch fire and start rattling off wins. And maybe a team like K-State and TCU dip into a little bit of a losing streak. As we learn more and more about these teams as fans, you've got to understand that the opposing coaches are learning even more about these teams. And maybe someone will crack the Jerome Tang magic and, and show the way to beat K-State along the way. I don't know. But I think they're pretty dang talented. They're awfully athletic and fun to watch. And they can just finally, a K-State team can just line up and be better than you because they have more talent. And that's just been a long time since we've seen that. Um, and it's not just, you know, some talent. It's across the board where they've got some really special players and, and they've found the Marquise Noel, um, the solution to his puzzle is he was just incredible with 36 points and nine assists in, at Austin. Deontay Johnson special, Naquan Tomlin is a blast. Of, you know, he just can play above the rim or shoot it from three. And they got other guys that step up on a consistent basis and score a lot of points. So, Maybe they'll solve this, and I don't know, but it is a long ways to go between now and March when this all gets sorted out. But if I had to guess right now, I will be covering the NCAA tournament um, this this winter or spring, whatever that is, but uh, it'll be good to be back. Yeah, talk a little bit more about Marquise Noel and, you know, of course, the, the story uh, throughout college basketball in general, not just with the Wildcats, but one of the major stories are the way that, you know, the teams that are, are navigating the transfer portal and bringing in new players left and right. And, and the Wildcats are doing the same thing and have been able to do that with Keontae Johnson and others. But Marquise Noel, one of the lone holdovers from the Bruce Weber era, sticking around with the program, staying with Jerome Tang and thriving in that system. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that it can be understated um, how important he's been to the success that we've seen from the Wildcats so far. He's turned into one of the best point guards I've ever seen in, at the college level. I mean, he is dishing the ball out, eight assists a game. Um, you know, ironically, he has a 36-9 and nine in Austin and it ends a double-double streak, I believe, uh, where he was just putting up, you know, crazy numbers pretty consistently. And you know what? Um, Blessings to Marquise for embracing 
the different ideas and the tough love that Jerome Tang gives him. He's been chewed out more by his head coach this year already than last year in total because um, Jerome Tang knows what he has. He's trying to you know, get the kid to break some of these bad habits, but he said it after the game in Austin that sometimes you got to live with, with him taking bad shots because it's that gambler, that risk taker. You don't want to take that away because he's showing what he can do in terms of passing the ball, and also he hits a lot of big threes. But sometimes he chucks one up early in the shot clock that you're like, why? I mean, you can get a better shot than that. But that's just the, the supreme confidence he has in his game that he's finally learning to control that and focus it into things that can be more productive. It's incredible. He is playing at a – he and Keontae are both playing at all Big 12 first-team level, and I, I would have never expected that to be saying that about two K-State players this year. Uh, okay, Dewan Harris or or Marquise Noel, who you got? Well, I'll, I'll be blunt. I've, I've watched some KU, but I haven't ne- watched nearly as much as Dewan. Um, you know, and I think he's he's their guy. He has um, been um, he's been fantastic he's incredible. this year. He's been incredible. Yeah, yeah, and it's fun to watch guys that discover themselves and, and erupt into great basketball players. But I take them both. How's that? I'll be selfish and put them both on the court yeah. together and with Keontae and some other guys, it's the big tool basketball. Is so elite. It's just amazing to watch. And, and come on now, like, can we, can't, can we start the countdown to both rounds of the sunflower showdown this year? This is everything you yeah. want, right? We need, we need, I, 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 we were talking about this yesterday. I was at Bramlage last year, uh, not last year in, uh, it was either 24. When, when was the shove? Right when was the shove to Jamari Trailer? I was I was there for that, and that was my first taste when we first moved here at Bramlage, and I was like, oh my god, this is incredible. Very different from Allen Fieldhouse, certainly, but cool yeah. and unique in its own way. And I'm not sure I've seen it that way since. But can we get that back? Like that was awesome. Yeah, and you know what? I think uh, we're going to see Bramlage rocking again, like it did for a while. Um, and, you know, the passion for basketball kind of backed off. Student section's been incredible, but Jerome Tang has everyone motivated. I, I think I don't care if you're 18 and a freshman at K-State or, or 90 and you were a freshman uh, about the same time I was. Uh, you're, you want to run through a wall for this guy because uh, he's got the fan base so engaged and motivated. It's, it's incredible. You know, in this next game, the, the next home game against Oklahoma State is a midweek game before the students get back. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how how many fans can go up and, and try to fill that place up. But uh, one of my young guys, Cole Carmody, pointed out that the next home game with students on campus is Kansas. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. And we're counting down the days to it. All right, uh, Fitz, what do you guys have going to go Power Cab right now? Just tons of coverage. Just absolute tons of coverage. We're wrapping up football season. Some really good, um, you know, breakdowns. We just put up a podcast today with myself and Brian Hanley, our football analyst, former K-State player, kind of breaking down the Sugar Bowl and the first half and the second half of that is more big picture stuff with K-State football. Um, and then uh, we're going to record another podcast today, one of our questions podcasts, as we take questions from our subscribers. But you know, just lots of coverage. And we're all over this. Uh, transfer portal stuff, the comings and goings. And there's another signing day coming up for K-State football, for all football. Um, 
But we'll see if K-State has any scholarships to give out to you know, more high school talent. I think they're focused on the portal at this point. Ah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be nerve wracking, but we'll see. Get, guys are going to come in too. Fitz, we appreciate it. GoPowerCat.com, uh, Life of Fitz on Twitter. Recover, get back on the road. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, boys. Great to talk to you. There goes Tim Fitzgerald. We'll come back. Continue Sports Daily right after this. Congratulations to James in Wichita for winning our Wichita Thunder giveaway, uh, as well as some free iced tea from HTO. Enjoy the game and the tea on us. James will have another giveaway to a movie that we'll tell you about uh, in just a little bit. You know, Tommy, I, I, I still I can't get a grasp on or understand this soccer story with Burhalter. like i honestly like I'm, I'm trying to read it i don't really understand it people are wondering why we're not like I, it's it's really weird to me and i i don't know i mean maybe you have a better grasp of it but it sounds like a, a situation from a long time ago has come forward and i don't really know what that means or or what it means for the team moving forward into the world cup coming to the u.s i have no idea you got any grasp on this thing uh, I maybe have slightly more of a grasp than you do, but I still don't have a great handle on it. I don't I don't really follow soccer a ton. Like I watched a little bit of the World Cup. Um, and of course, I'm familiar with uh, the U.S. men's team and all of that. But as far as like really knowing the behind the scenes drama, uh, I don't know a ton. I just know that uh, Berthaler, who was the coach of Team USA, uh, came out on social media the other day. Uh, and basically said that he was being blackmailed uh, for information that ha- an incident that happened a long time ago. And he went ahead and went on record talking about what had happened. It was an altercation with uh, he and his now wife. But this was like 30 years ago. We're talking like in the early 90s uh, that there was an altercation when they were just dating. Um, and then uh, it's been quiet ever since. And he was apparently being blackmailed. Now we know that it was the parents of one of the players on the U.S. men's national team uh, that they were threatening to reveal the the details on it, um, but they denied that there was ever any kind of blackmail that was involved. I don't know. It's a mess. Um, it certainly doesn't shine a good light on uh, U.S. soccer, um, and, and so hopefully this is something that can get resolved pretty quickly. Yeah, so if if you're wondering out there for us, like we're probably at this point, I'm going to spend a ton of time with it because it's, it's a little complicated and I don't want to speak on something I don't fully understand. Um, something we have a little better understanding on time. I don't know if you saw this. Um, Dennis Dodd talking about the tampering in college athletics, more specifically college football. Jeff Trailer was close to naming names. He's alleging that somebody from a Power Five, he's the coach at UTSA, Somebody came and made NIL offers to players that were not in the transfer portal. Um, You know, Dodd goes on to explain that the NCAA has stepped forward and asked schools basically to help them catch any coaches that are doing this. And I do think that's a very easy line. And and you know me, I'm pro NIL. I'm pro transfer portal. I think it's only fair. 
But I do draw a line and have a problem with coaches coming to players that are not in there already. That's tampering. And it's just like pro sports. You can't you you can't go negotiate contracts with players who are under contract with other teams. So for me, if a player is not in the portal, they're off limits. And, you know, if a player wants to take that chance and enter the portal, that's fine. I think the blurry area is if they have some sort of representative gauging interest from other places. That's that's a little bit blurry, but probably more okay. But But actively reaching out to other players for other teams to me crosses a line and that and that's an easy line to draw if players don't willingly enter the transfer portal you can't talk to them like period full stop can't do it and i think that that's fine to to be upset by that and i think that's one clear thing and we knew things were going to come up in all this but that's a pretty clear spot where okay that's a rule like you can't do that and if you do you're going to be punished i'm not surprised not surprised by well, that. Well, no, I mean, I'm any, not surprised either. But anytime, in a Wild West yeah, mentality, like right. that's got to be one. Anytime that you've got a line that's drawn in the sand, regardless of how firm that line is, you're always, always, always going to have people that are going to try to cross that line and try to test the boundaries and try to see what they can get away with. That's just the way that our society works in general, not just in the sports world, but in, in every uh, every corner of everywhere that sort of thing is happening. So it doesn't surprise me whatsoever that you've got potentially some teams that uh, or some representatives that are going rogue uh, and that are attempting to entice players who have not uh, given any indication that they want to transfer and leave their school uh, to go somewhere else uh, with NIL deals. That's not surprising one bit. And I know that uh, when the whole NIL situation came out and became what was going to happen in college athletics, that it was only a matter of time. Uh, before something like this happened, I don't think, and I'm sure that there are going to be some people out there that will use this as a justification that NIL is not the way to go in college athletics. Um, I don't think that that's the case, but you know that there are going to be people out there and there are probably going to be some, uh, some prominent journalists that are supportive of the NCAA. We know the NCAA is against NIL. They've come out publicly against it forever. Uh, they, they don't like it. They don't like this idea of the amateur athletes making money. They just don't like that. Um, you know that there are going to be journalists and others you know, out there that are going to say, see, this is the reason right now that NIL should not be in college athletics today. I don't think that's the right take. I think that we're, you know, you're trying to figure out exactly how to navigate this world in the right way. And you've got to try to find a way to pull out the bad actors, uh, you know, potentially punish them and make sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, people will say this is NIL's problem, but this sort of tampering happened even before. They're just trying to find a gray area that shouldn't exist. I mean, that's an easy one. That's an easy one to shut down, but something we'll watch. and, And again, what I've said five years, and we're in year now two almost. So it's going to take a little bit of time, and that's fine, and we'll get there. And there will be guidelines, I think, and it'll be a little easier to navigate, but the time in between now and then is going to be just a little bit wild. Okay, let's do a giveaway because we're getting some reporting, Tommy, and I want to take a break and make sure we have plenty of time on it. Adam Schefter uh, is following 
uh, along on the NFL's decision-making for this weekend, and there are some interesting scenarios on the table. So we want to talk about that. So let's take a break. But before we do that, uh, we've got movie tickets. And the movie this time is playing Gerard Butler. Uh, The movie's playing. It's an action movie. Uh, You know what you're getting into there. It's probably awesome. I think uh, that he saves his passengers from a lightning strike. Makes a risky landing on a war-torn island. Uh, Surviving the landing, Tommy, only the beginning, as you might imagine. Are you Um, Team Gerard Butler, or are you Team uh, Liam Neeson when it comes to movies like that? Is is that a thing? Uh, You know, I don't know. Butler was in 300, right? Right. And Neeson was in the Taken movies? Correct. I didn't know we had to compare them, but... I, I don't have a good answer for you because those are both Think about it during the movies. break. I'll ask you when we come back from break. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, anyway, you can go to this new Gerard Butler movie. It is uh, the, the premiere is at Boulevard Theaters on Town West Thursday, January 12th, so a week from, uh, week from today at 7 o'clock. We'll give away a four-pack of those. Jad will take that. We'll come back some NFL news, and I'll make a, a very difficult decision I wasn't <laughs> expecting uh, when we come back on the other side. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is Sports Daily on KFH. Congratulations to Dwayne in Wichita for winning that four-pack of movie tickets to Plane. It got Tommy, which is a new action flick, starring Gerard Butler. Tommy sprung a surprise question on me that sort of shook me for a second. Am I team Gerard Butler or team Liam Neeson? I didn't know this was a thing. Yeah. Um, But at the moment, I thought Gerard Butler in 300, which was just awesome. And I, in my first thought to Liam Neeson was Taken. And I'm like, man, of those two action movies, which one do I like more? They're both so flipping good. But then I think about it a little bit more. And that's the only movie I think I know Gerard Butler from. Maybe there's some I'm forgetting. But then I'm like, wait, Liam Neeson was in Star Wars. He was Qui-Gon Jinn, which was awesome. 
Uh, he was in uh, the Batman movies with what's his face, Christian Bale, and he was mm-hmm. the the main he bad was guy. Which yeah, yeah, he was awesome as that. Uh, and he and then and then I'm like, wait, he goes all the way back to Schindler's List. Like right. Gerard Butler's been in 300 and a bunch of like chick flicks, right? Am I missing anything well, on Gerard Butler? Because this is easy. It's you're Liam Neeson. Missing, the, the one you're missing with Gerard Butler is the Olympus Has Fallen series because he was in Olympus Has Fallen, London Has Fallen, Angel Has Fallen. So he was in that entire series, um, which those were really good movies too, I thought. Um, so that would be the only thing with Gerard Butler that would give him a little bit of of cred in this competition. But I think you've got to go, in my opinion, you've, you've got to go Team Liam Neeson. Well, yeah, okay. Those I, I think I saw most of one of those movies on an airplane one time. Uh, so, like, if I put those up against the Taken ones, Taken's going to take that in a landslide. Three hundred is unique, but you could put one of Liam Neeson's other amazing. Like, you could put a lot of it. Neeson's Neeson's resume is just better. Um, and I'm not movie guy, so you know if if Butler's done some other real like thinking man's movies or cinematography you know I, I, i'm not gonna know it anyway um, well he was in time tomorrow for all never that. dies he was in the james bond movie tomorrow never dies back in 97 so his resume goes back further too um but when you're talking about I, action I stars from england um I, you know i think you've you've got to look at liam neeson one and gerard butler two what what was he in tomorrow never dies that was the one with lucy Liu, right uh yeah I think that's so. correct yeah. What, what did he play in that? Was he like a bad guy or something? I don't um, really remember. I, I think it was a small role, um, oh. but he was in it. Yeah. Eh. It's it's Neeson. It's not particularly close for me. Like Neeson's been in and, and now that you're now that we brought that up, like I, I guess I've never really put him in that stratosphere, but man, he's been in so many different kinds of awesome movies. Okay, I need to spend a little more time with just his career, probably. Uh, okay, okay, so, what so about we this? mentioned well, real quick. Okay. What about if we're going to take away Gerard Butler from this? Are you Team Liam Neeson or Team Russell Crowe? Um, Russell Crowe is uh, the Gladiator, right? What yep, What else? G- give me Give me some other well, hits I mean, on Russell Crowe's been in everything. Oh God, I, I'm I am not good. At Hollywood, uh, beautiful mind was good. I don't recall yep. his version of L.A. Robin Confidential, Three Ten to Yuma. He was in Cinderella Man, American Gangster. Cinderella Man was good. He was an American Gangster with Denzel Washington. Yeah. What did he play in that? I don't even remember. He was one of the lead guys. It was Denzel and Russell Crowe. They were like the two lead guys. I gotta remember that movie. I, I remember Denzel. Um, no, I mean he I'm, played I'm Zeus still in Thor in the Marvel universe. Yeah, that was I mean, fine. Russell Crowe's done a bunch. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he was like amazing. It, that that movie was fine. It wasn't. I, I don't think it. I don't think it's involved. Like, I don't think it reaches. See, and like I, I and I'm looking at a list of his movies now because I just, I don't remember his Robin Hood. I don't know if it was good or not. But he's in like Les Miserables. Like I don't. It, I I am admittedly very simple for the most part when it comes to movies. Because I don't have time for, and it really bothers me when somebody's like, you have to see this amazing uh, film. Like, if you call it a film and not a movie, we're probably not going to jive in our in our uh, experiences with with spending that much time on, 
on screen there. But so if it's got to be pretty, it's got to be pretty much a blockbuster for me these days to spend any time with. And that's fine. You can think that what you want to. You can give. Yeah. You go watch all the Oscar nominations and and take them. And I'm not going to waste my time with it because the last one of those I saw on a recommendation from a from a film guy uh, was what, what was the one last year? I don't even remember the name of it. It was so bad. Something about pizza and and pink something. I don't know what it was called. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was no such idea a waste what you're of time. About. What, no what, what 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 year are we in? What were the twenty twenty two Oscar? I'll, I'll tell you. You what sound it was. really old man right now. Like just... I'm not old man. This is an old man. This is young man. Like I don't have time for all that stuff. Uh, licorice pizza. Licorice pizza. I, I'll never watch another Oscar nomination again. It was terrible. Such a waste of time. Like we go see maybe one movie a year or two, maybe, and we go see that. It was awful. It was such a waste of time. No offense to anybody in the movie. I'm sure if you're a film guy, it was great because of some. No, I'm going to sit down in one of those now fancy recliner chairs. I'm going to have a beer and I just need entertainment. Just entertain me. Like If I want to think about something, I'll watch a TV series. I don't need it in a movie. I need Liam Neeson. That's what I need. Uh, so you need Gerard yes, Butler in plane. Uh, that movie might be good. I'll be interested to see what people think of it. And we'll continue to give movie tickets away to it. Um, and it's no offense to Gerard Butler, which is 300 is fantastic. But, like, he's been in more stuff that I have never seen nor will I see than Liam Neeson has. He's been in a Star Wars movie. Of course I'm going to see that. Come on now. Uh, all right. We've got news in the NFL, Tommy. Adam Schefter apparently got on ESPN. This is according to Pete Sweeney's transcription here. Pete Sweeney's a great reporter for the uh, for the Chiefs. Um, Schefter saying that he expects a decision on the Bills Bengals before the Saturday games kick off, which I think is fine. We're getting promising updates, so that seems reasonable. Um, he added that he does not expect, which follows the PFT report last night, that he does not expect that Bills Bengals game to resume, which would mean winning percentage determines seeding. He also says the NFL is considering options like allowing the number one seed to pick home field advantage or a bye week. Uh, another option, an AFC title game between two teams with a differing number of games to be played at a neutral site. This all gets complicated, Tommy, because Buffalo would be the team that loses out here, and they're the most they're the team most directly affected by this if the Chiefs beat the Raiders. So I, there there is no good answer, and there's no easy answer if they don't resume that game. There just isn't one. Um, I think you still have to leave room to see if there's time, if DeMar Hamlin makes a full recovery, to see what he wants to do and what he wants his team to do. But if that game is not resumed, there will be no right answer to how this is handled by the NFL. And we might as well get used to it because whatever it is, not everybody's going to like. It won't be fair to anybody, but... There's not that answer doesn't exist. It's not like they're going to pick the wrong answer. There is no right answer. But this is the potential path of least resistance, right? If the game does not get played, because we talked about it yesterday on the show that there were suggestions about a random number generator and throwing out one of the results of the Chiefs. I mean, like it could be really, really complicated. You can get really convoluted in this. If the Bills Bengals game is not resumed and it doesn't happen and you just simply go by winning percentage, uh, yeah, that is a knock, unfortunately, on the Bills. 
but that's probably the simplest way to handle it. But if the NFL can potentially find other ways to make it a little bit more equitable in the playoffs, I guess I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm all right with, you know, if the the one team, you know, the one seed gets home field advantage or a bye week, and then the number two team gets the other, I'm, I guess I'm okay with that. I don't exactly know, you know, if Kansas City wins this weekend and that's what happens, you would think they, I would think that they would probably choose a bye week, right? You're playing one fewer game. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's a really, really interesting de- decision that they'd have but to make. But what if that bye week means you have to go to Buffalo in the AFC Championship game? Or would you rather play another game at home? Or would you rather play, I don't know who they play. Who do they play in that scenario? Uh, Baltimore? Yeah. I mean. The Jaguars? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That one actually actually intrigues me quite a bit. I'm intrigued by that. Um, So if that's the the decision the NFL makes, then, you know, the number one seed would pick what they want. And then the number two seed would get the other option. Um, that I would think be neutral really site is. I think neutral site is simpler, but again, even neutral site isn't totally fair to the Bills because they will have given up their buy at yeah. no fault of their own, um, and then and then they also don't get to host. So you you lose the buy and the ability to host. That's where it gets really tricky. Um, I'm not sure. In Cincinnati, I'm sure, and I'm not a mathematician, I'm sure Cincinnati will be affected in some way by this too because they would technically be – how many losses does Cincinnati have? Are they are they four. behind the Chiefs? Okay, so they are behind they're the Chiefs. So they're, they're not as affected. Um, I, I just – I don't – again, there won't be a right answer, um, and they just have to stay in communication. I, I suppose, Tommy, the only way they can get to a right answer – or as right as it can be, is if the Bills and the Chiefs agree on path, right? Like if the NFL says, okay, here are our options. We're going to give you both three choices. You can do neutral side AFC championship game, go by win percentage. You can pick which one you'd rather have. These are our choices. What do you both think? If they both agree on that path, then I'd say, yeah, it's as fair as it can be, and let's move on. And everybody – because, again, like when when anybody I, – I don't think you're going to see anybody on the teams throw a fit in the aftermath because of the circumstances that got us here. Everyone's going to say, yeah, that that n- nothing you can do about that. Sort of like what we saw out of the pandemic. Like at some point it's like we're all rolling with this and dealing with it, right? You could make a neutral site AFC championship game really, really fun. I mean, it's going to be fun regardless sure. of where it's at. But you could look at it as kind of a secondary Super Bowl, right? Um, you know, a week or two weeks before the actual Super Bowl, you're playing an AFC championship game that could potentially be the Chiefs and the Bills, um, you know, or the Bills and the Bengals, and that could be the rematch or what. I mean, there are a ton of different scenarios where a neutral site game, yeah, you're losing – Uh, the home field advantage for either one of the teams that could potentially get it. Uh, But you could turn it into a pretty big spectacle, and I would imagine that's what the league would want to do. I think that answer would be super easy. If you could just say we're doing neutral site, the only problem with that is then it punishes the Bills by not giving them the buy. Yeah. I'm not sure how to navigate that, that, which – which makes that other scenario interesting to me. You can have one or the other. 
I don't know. This is interesting. But again, I'm not going to sit here today and be the guy that's like, oh, NFL, this is so stupid. Yeah. And if the Chiefs no, win on fine. Sunday and they choose that option at this moment right now, I'm not so sure. I don't know what Kansas City would pick. Would they pick home field advantage I don't or buy? I don't know. You do have to make them pick before Saturday. If if before yeah. Saturday you have to make the decision on whether that game will be resumed, then the teams have got to make their choice before games are played this week. Have to. Because if you know, if if it gets to a point where, you know, let's say the Bills lost this weekend and the Chiefs won, then this probably all goes void anyway because they would have caught them. We'll come back, we'll wrap up Sports Daily right after this. 